1: what's one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now
0: uh i think the biggest piece of advice would be is never too late just to-
1: <laughs> welcome to game dev advice the game developers podcast your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals i'm your host john jp podlasic I've worked at 10 different game companies starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Budhead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the GameDevAdvice Dot com website so let's kick things off with the new game dev advice hi this episode is with steve anachini the cto and co-founder at disbelief steve's worked on many titles throughout his 24-year career including borderland threes ps5 xbox exports gears 5 bioshock infinite and john woo presents stranglehold He's worked on tools and systems used in Blitz, The League, PsyOps, The Mindgate Conspiracy, and Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance. At Disbelief, Steve focuses on systems and graphics programming, training, recruiting, and company strategy. He offers a lot of practical, actionable advice in this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Hey, Steve. So what part of the uh, world are you calling in from tonight?
0: Hi, John. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. All right. Cool. Right down the road from you.
1: Yeah. Um, so tell me about your current role.
0: I am the CTO and co-founder at Disbelief uh, a Studio. I started about nine years ago uh, mm-hmm. with my good friend, Steve Elmore. And uh, Steve's a good
1: friend of mine. Um, so it's been nine years already. Wow. That's that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's it's crazy. Uh, every time I think about it, it feels kind of like just like yesterday we started it up. And... Yeah, obviously, me and Steve, you know, you know us back from the Midway days, uh, and we've kind of yeah. been working together for a long time. Uh, if folks ever start uh, their own uh, business or something like that, having a business partner that you've worked with for a very long time and kind of like have developed that trust uh, mm-hmm. makes it a ton easier.
1: Yeah. It, it, it just to sidetrack for a sec. Like, it's a funny story. Like, I know Steve from 1998, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy, right? Like, I, there there was a company that was hired to do like uh, HTML when you put a 3COM disk in to get an INT file in in the UK. And I flew over there when I was consulting for 3COM. Polylang or Polylang, Poly something was the name of the company. And, and Steve worked there. And um, I, I never thought I'd see him again. And, and then, you know, this, that, and the other. And he came over and. Um, yeah, here we are in 2023. So,
0: yeah. And I, I mean, I've known him since 2002 because we started at Midway around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But I think we didn't really meet because he was on like PSYOPs and I was in like the central uh, tools group or whatever. Right. Uh, and we didn't really meet until there was a uh, tech summit that was hosted in San Diego, I think. Mm. Okay. Uh, back when Midway San Diego was a thing. And uh I think we met at that because we were at the time we were both smokers. So, uh, <laughs> we would go out and uh, get a smoke break and kind right. of got to know each other that way. All right. Hey, what do you do?
1: I write code. In. Hey, two, <laughs> hey, what's up?
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah, you, you kind of start on that, but like, how did you get started in the game industry?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you go way back when I was like 10 years old, I got a Commodore 64. Uh, this the, would have been like 1985.
1: The gateway drug.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The gateway drug. And, you know, the way it worked back then was you would get magazines like Byte Magazine. <laughs> they would have games written in BASIC, like printed in the magazine. Right. And you would enter it in your computer so you could play the game. Right. Type, and type, type,
1: type, type. And then all of a sudden, whoa, something happened on my screen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was like the uh, the indie games of the 80s uh and so i i started typing in ba- these basic games and then pretty soon i'd moved on to like i want to start trying to make my own games and so I'm, you know i kind of learned how to program basic a little right i even tried to learn a- assembly uh it was way mm. too early yeah yeah <laughs> I, had, that's rough. I had no idea what i was doing uh but you know then like got an Amiga in high school and was mm-hmm. kind of making games. So I kind of started programming, learning to make games. In college, I kind of got away from it and was like, you know, doing business stuff. I had a couple of internships at Microsoft, but no, nothing game related. Mm-hmm. And then after college, I was working for a startup that was doing like 3D scanning hardware, uh, but it was being primarily used for medical applications. Okay. But it was a lot of like graphics work with like OpenGL and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and uh i decided okay you know this is in pittsburgh so i'm going to move back to chicago and i said like hey you know i wanted to get in games that's why i started programming i'm going to start looking for a games job and Mm -hmm. uh my sister was was like a headhunter kind of recruiter at the time and she helped me get an interview at uh jellyvision which made uh you don't know jack ah Uh, right They're uh, called Jackbox games now, but back then they were Jellyvision. Right. And I, so I went all out. I made this demo Hmm. called "You Don't Know Steve." (laughs) I wrote (laughs) I wrote it in like two weeks, and it was like basically like a a quiz show about my resume in in the form of "You Don't Know Jack." Hmm. I I had uh, my roommate at the time. uh, Me and him like did. Jammed out some music and guitar, so it had like a soundtrack. Right. It, I had uh, another friend do be the host of the the program and wrote lines for him and and recorded VO and stuff. Damn. Uh, yeah, I went all out of it yeah. uh And you know, it was it was very cringe, but uh, <laughs> it must have worked. Earnest. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was very earnest. Uh, but it must have worked because you know, I, in two weeks, I kind of threw together a very bare bones quiz game right uh and yeah and so i got the job and that was kind of ever since then you know so i was at jellyvision for a bit Mm -hmm. uh they hit some hard times uh after some projects got canceled so got laid off there went to midway was there for about seven years uh worked on worked on like stranglehold uh, they hit hard times. <laughs> this is right. a common yeah. theme in the game industry. It's the
1: game industry, yeah. Feast or famine. You
0: know, I don't think I actually got laid off there. I think I quit before they uh, went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And we went to uh, Rational Games and I worked on in Bioshock Infinite there uh, for about five years, I think. And, and you, you uh, moved
1: to Boston, right? In the whole yeah. yeah. Uh
0: and yeah, and actually like you know, me, Steve Elmore, Chris Munson, and a couple mm-hmm. named Mike Munson, Croc, yeah. uh, you know, we all moved as a group. And to Irrational, rational kind of like taking like part of a strangleholds tech team. And that became part of a Bioshock Infinite's tech team. Okay. Yeah. And then after Bioshock Infinite shipped, uh, rational laid everyone off and uh, started mm. disbelief.
1: No, oh, and that was nine years ago, and th- that's cool. You started, and you're still going, and full disclosure, we were in a band together, right? So, um, <laughs> Thermos with an IS. Um, is there any recordings anywhere of anything we did? Or
0: uh, I have recordings.
1: Okay, all right. You, you got to put those on SoundCloud so we can... Oh, God, we can, no. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, I would say we had a lot of fun. I don't know if we were any good, but we had a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that was that was a good time. So, all right, thinking back, you know, what do you wish you had known when you started?
0: Uh, yeah, I th- thought about this a lot, uh, you know, and I think I would say patience and in a lot of forms, like
2: mm-hmm.
0: patience with other people, uh, you know, yeah. and that's something I still work on to this day. Right. Uh, you mean both? Patience, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> patience with myself. Yeah. Uh, Ditto. Ditto. You know, like just trying to keep an even keel. -hmm. Certainly, you know, there have been projects earlier on in my career where like I maybe got a little too emotionally invested and that would get me stressed out. Yeah. Uh, And then the other thing I would kind of say, and this is going to sound weird, but like patience in terms of there's always more time than you think. Okay. In terms of like, I've seen so many projects get themselves into trouble because they've got some deadline and they just start getting in like panic mode. Mm. Where they start and they start making poor decisions because they don't think they have any time left, but that actually like compounds the problem,
1: right? Tech debt and all that,
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's like they're definitely like that was an experience on Stranglehold where like early on we're like, oh, we don't have time to do this right solution, so we're going to kind of like jury rig it. And when we looked back after we shipped, well, first of all, the thing got delayed by a year so,
1: <laughs> right, right. so yeah, there was time yeah, so yeah.
0: like you know if you're facing an unrealistic deadline more often than not it's going to get pushed out uh no matter what they say right uh what we ended up doing at the end of the game we ended up implementing all that stuff we said we didn't have time to do hmm. because we had
2: to, yeah right
0: you know and so that's kind of what i mean by patience of like try to focus on what's important for the deadlines ahead of you but don't get like in panic mode where you're thinking like oh i can't i can't do things the right way or i can't i have to take these like huge shortcuts Mm -hmm. because you can pack
1: it together yeah that kind of stuff yeah
0: because you'll just end up like causing yourself more work in the end
1: yeah no that's that's wise right yeah we've all been in those situations and then you're just scrambling and then later you're just like we're just shooting ourselves in the foot so no that's that's good to know um what about advice do you give someone looking to get their first job as a programmer now here in 2023 in a very different landscape than, than your days when you were looking.
0: Yeah, this is something we deal with a lot, you know, because I do a lot of the hiring uh, at Disbelief. And we're, mm-hmm. we're actually one of the few studios, I think, that will hire people out of school, like we'll hire, hire folks and train them up and, you know, not necessarily expect everyone to have experience. But, yeah. you know, the things when I'm looking at like the resumes that come in the advice I would give. So first thing would be improve your debugging skills, particularly in larger programs. Uh, there's actually a book that we give every programmer that starts at Disbelief. I don't know this author. I have no relationship with this book at all. <laughs> uh, but seriously, it, it's a short book and it's really great. It's called like Debugging the Nine Indispensable Rules for Finding Even the Most Elusive Software and Hardware Problems.
1: Really? I'll put it in the show notes. I've That's oh.
0: Definitely put like, you know, a Goodreads link or something in there. Yeah. Uh, Because it's just a really good, concise toolkit for like ways that you can approach debugging problems that isn't really necessarily specific to software Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. can, can be applied to like hardware debugging or any kind of like, you know, problem solving really. Yeah. Uh, And then I guess the other thing I would, you know, this is more kind of specific to programmers in the game industry, which is learn more languages and learn more engines. So we see a lot of people mm. coming in who maybe just have Unity and C sharp. And for some shops, that's great. Right. For other shops, that's going to cut you off from consideration if that's the only technologies that you've been using. Right. Right. And if you really want to maximize your chances, because like there's only so many paid programming game jobs out there, especially mm. if you're like don't have any experience in their entry level. Right. If you've only been doing Unity and C sharp, learn Unreal and C. Go mm-hmm. download Godot and learn that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you're trying to get into engine programming, write your own small little engine. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, the the more breadth you can get there, I think the bigger, the better chance that you can find, you know, a landing spot somewhere.
1: Yeah, and, and sometimes I see, you see resumes where they're just, um, you know, Unity developer, right? And it's mm-hmm. just, it's all it is. That's all they know. And it's like, well, oh, how deep is your engineering, right? Like, you can... <laughs> poke at the thing and make it do stuff in Unity, but but you don't know what's going on underneath there. And um, if that's the only engine you know and it's the only thing you know how to do, it's a little scary from a hiring standpoint because you're like, uh, this person could just be a poker and then create all this tech debt you have to deal with later because they don't understand stuff. And then what what if you're in a different engine or whatever? So yeah, having a little broader depth besides just being Unity developer or, or, or whatnot. so.
0: Yeah. And it's nothing wrong with Unity too. It's like No, Unity no.
1: Is- Unity's is fantastic, but yeah, it's just people that that's that's all they know and that's all they talk about and and they don't necessarily yeah. have computer science background and then it's like it's there's risk. But yeah. Yeah, yeah Unity is th- a good wrapper for building I think stuff.
0: The, yeah, and I think the good news is right now is like better than any time that it's ever been. To learn how to program games. There are so many resources that you can get for oh, free. Yeah. Right. You know, so much stuff online. You can go download Unreal and look at all the source code. You can go download in, open source engines like Godot. Mm-hmm. Look at all the source code. You can go find old games like, you know, the old Quake games and stuff. And like they, those have been open sourced. And
1: yeah, there's a ton out there. Right. Yeah. It, it used to be engines were proprietary, right? And yep. they were black boxes and every company had their own. and you couldn't hire anyone that knew their weird engine um so yeah it's it is kind of the golden age in that sense um so what about advice for someone trying to advance their you know current role in engineering like they're two four six years in and they want to kind of move to the next stage
0: you know one of the things i always tell people uh is whatever you're working on knock it out of the park. So, and this is be- just because, mm-hmm. like, I've seen this where, especially for folks kind of, you know, earlier on their careers, like, they may have a goal where they want to get to, but, like, the current tasks they're getting are kind of like, eh. Uh, right, am- right.
1: Look at like- UI uh, engineering. Oh, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. exactly. Right. And it's like the way to get not get pigeonholed is to just excel at what you do and, like, mm-hmm. put your all into it, even if it's, a, you know. The reason they pay you money is because you're gonna have to do some stuff that you don't want to do. Right. I am CTO and co-owner of a company and I end up doing a lot of stuff I don't want to do. <laughs> right? Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. That's the way but, it goes.
0: But i but the way to get to the stuff that you do wanna do is just like if you if you get a reputation as like a doer, mm-hmm. like we can throw this person at any problem and they're gonna figure it out. Uh you'll you'll pretty soon find yourself working on some interesting problems.
1: Right. Yeah, new problems come up and they're like, well, that person, they've always done it, right? Like let's throw it at them. I have confidence in them because they've proven themselves.
0: Uh, and then I guess, you know, the other, the other kind of piece of advice is just always be learning. You know, obviously I've been yeah. in games since 99, so 24 years and not the tech stacks we use now are completely different than what I used when I started. <laughs> and, you know, obviously there's stuff that, that you experience is, is still worthwhile, but, like, yeah, if if I had just, you know, stood still on this, like, Java engine that we had in, in Jellyvision <laughs> that used a uh, direct draw. <laughs> <laughs> direct draw, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: uh,
1: <coughs> yeah. Um, I'm just going to stick with RenderWare. I'm going to be a RenderWare engine yep. specialist because that's job security. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, E. bought us? Wait, what? Um. Yeah, that's a great point. Don't get hung up and just get rusty. So, besides patience, like, what do you feel the most important skill or quality for other programmers to have?
0: Communication. Yeah, it's another kind of big thing. Like I, I find with pe- people coming out of school that we're really teaching a lot mm-hmm. uh, is like how to communicate in a professional setting, how to write status updates that uh, communicate what yeah. you're doing concisely but accurately.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: especially now like with things being either hybrid or remote or like so much you know work happening over zoom uh or in slack Mm -hmm.
2: uh
0: or via email like you don't always have the benefit of that face-to-face communication which is kind of the highest bandwidth communication yeah and so it's even more important to be able to communicate precisely so that like you don't get misunderstandings or like hurt feelings
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh and then uh, you know the other thing is is like these teams are just so huge.
1: Yeah, right.
0: You know, it's you can't just be a programmer sitting in the corner, new on code. Like you're going to be working with like, you know, on teams that may be as big as like 300 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to be able to, to communicate and communicate with other disciplines aside from programmers. So right. I really think it's like, it's, it's such a huge part of... of what you do these days and and something that you're not necessarily going to learn out of school just because the projects tend to be smaller.
1: Right, and they're usually like capstones and you have a couple of people. And-
0: yeah, and there's actually some uh, good free resources for that. Uh, one of the things we have people do, so Google runs this technical writing course hmm. that's free for anyone to take. Wow. And there's kind of like two components to it. There's like an out of classroom component and an in classroom component. But they basically just have like free online classrooms every few weeks. Hmm. Uh, and it's, That's I think cool. it's like a two day course. Yeah, uh, And it's the kind of thing, like when we have people do it, we definitely see like a concrete improvement.
1: That's a great resource. I'll tell in the show notes too. Yep. Um, what about your advice for like, you kind of talked about communication, but like developing interpersonal skills, EQ kind of core skills. So like work on your communication, both written and verbal. What else do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of practice, <laughs> uh, you know, I, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like the, especially with the writing, the more you write, the better you get at it.
1: Yeah. Makes
0: you sense. know, and, and the more you, you kind of talk or chat or, or whatever with your coworkers, the more comfortable you'll get at it. One shortcut I always uh, tell folks is like, if you ever just want to start a conversation with, like, an engineer or an artist or anyone, just ask them about what they're working on.
1: Uh, because yeah, I've,
0: I've yet right. to meet an engineer and artist who doesn't love talking about what they're working
1: on. Right. You're not going to get stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm doing the same and I'm rendering this. And, yeah, because people love to share that. So, yeah, that's a great icebreaker. Yeah. So, thinking back over your career, like, what's been one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on?
0: I think I got uh, two here. So the first one would be the last one that I have done direct work on uh, as a coder, uh, which would be the Borderlands 3 uh, PS5 and Xbox Series X ports. Hmm. Uh, And we did this, this is a project that Disbelief did. And I only kind of came in at the tail end of it, but like yeah. The, the thing I'm proud about is this was kind of like you know this was the biggest port that we had taken on pretty much mostly ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like before that we had like you know worked on some ports but we were kind of more of a support team but this one we were kind of running from start to finish and yeah. we had some you know some additional folks come in uh, to kind of finish it out the last month or so but like it was really our baby mm. uh, and you know it was it was not just like doing a port but we also kind of added, added four player split screen uh which was oh, this wow. was one of our first projects that we added kind of art internally
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh and because we, we had to redo every ui screen in the game yeah and yeah it was oh and it was a launch title i forgot to mention that so Ooh,
2: no pressure uh,
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i had not done a launch title before that and i don't know if i ever want to do a launch title again <laughs> uh You know, the the, the people making the console, they're kind of building the plane while you're trying to (laughs) fly it. Yeah. Uh and you know, so you get hardware late and you get documentation late. Right. They're busy,
1: right? Like they're not like, oh, let me just think about these other people
0: here. Yeah, like like, because if it was done, they would have shipped it sooner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely that that was kind of like the the fun part about it. And you know, and also like, you know, this was based on um Unreal 4 and Epic is in the same boat where they're like mm. kind of building out the platform support and there was a lot of stuff that like wasn't ready, you know, because yeah, I don't I don't remember if Fortnite was available at launch or not. So when,
1: so when was it, when was this like uh 17, 18? When was this
0: uh, when the heck did the... <laughs> 2020, right? Like uh oh okay. We had started the project and then like you know, lockdown occurs.
1: Oh, that too, right? Wow. Uh
0: and Yeah. Launched November 12th, 2020. So it would have been 2020. So yeah, we were doing this in the middle of the pandemic too. So I mean, full credit to the team. They really like pulled it out and it was a, it was a tough project for us. Mm -hmm. uh, Landmark for our company.
1: Yeah. It's a big deal. That's a big franchise.
0: Yeah. And then I think more on a personal level, I I guess I would say Bioshock Infinite, um, just because... Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of the work the team did. It was such a talented team, you know, just top to bottom, like yeah I feel the, that. the artists on that team could you know that game was kind of built in the last year it was <laughs> 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 and it's crazy to me, like just knowing like what we had going into that last year and what they were able to make uh, uh, and but you know, I also take a lot of personal pride, like I kind of you know did a ton of work on the render. On that project and kind of rewrote uh, Unreal Three's lighting, hmm. um, and you know the end the end result, like you know, it was received well. It, it did it did sold well. Yeah, uh, you know, it was one of those games I'd always wanted to kind of work on, and I, I got the chance to work on it. So
1: it was a commercial and critical success, and um, yeah, from some of the stuff you read or you hear about how the studio goes, it's not shocking. It, it was kind of pulled together in the last year, right? So it was like, yeah.
0: It's hard to say cuz the irony about the, that project is like for the the tech engineers like me me and the, the you know the rest of the disbelief folks yeah uh, who were on that I don't feel like like I feel like stranglehold was a much harder project for mm-hmm. me personally and that's partially because like the most of the tumult was in like design and art yeah figuring out what they wanted to do and that actually gave a lot of runway for the tech folks
2: Mm-hmm.
0: to To figure <laughs> to figure stuff out so like i was yeah. working on the renderer and i actually kind of had a lot of that like in the bag just from doing those demos uh because oh, you can't really right. fake the renderer you, like it has to work right uh you know by the time we got to that final stretch like i think we had really tackled all the rendering bugs and i was mostly just helping out mm-hmm. um you know anywhere i could like with getting under memory and certain performance things but yeah so yeah, yeah, so I I, I always feel we're, like I feel like the designers and artists on that team got way more of the brunt.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you, you could fake things just like this is Vegas, but that's a whole nother. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry,
1: I, had to take I feel shot. like there's been
0: so much <laughs> written about that particular game at this point. Like, I know,
1: but it, it's it's too easy of a shot to not take. I, I yeah, just to, yeah. When I get to, whenever I get a chance I, I, to I feel, teal.
0: I mean, they were at you know yeah it, it's that it's, whole one sheet thing right uh, yeah, where right. They, they end up like getting an impossible game to make approved right and so why you know why would it be shocking that an impossible game to make turns out to be impossible, impossible to make? To, right <laughs> right right yeah
1: but i digress um uh what are you curious about right now in the industry
0: believe it or not I always render it like i always come back to rendering yeah fair. Uh, and graphics like it's it's been a constant throughout my career like i mm-hmm. In high school, I was writing, like, a, a, a wireframe software renderer. And, you know, in college, I was doing, like, shader work and, like, RenderMan. Uh, RenderMan, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, like, I think, like, after Stranglehold, I kind of... That's when I kind of got back into it, and definitely with Bioshock Infinite. And I do a lot of rendering at uh disbelief mm-hmm. and it you know it keeps evolving there's always like there's always new toys like you know right now real-time ray tracing is is kind of the one yeah. of the big uh things and i, I think we're we've really only kind of seen the tip of the iceberg with that stuff because mm-hmm. the, the hardware can't really yet do the amount of rays that you want it to but mm-hmm. and you know it, you know how it is like yeah everyone figures out how to use what's there and the, the games at the end of a console cycle always look you know, way better than the ones at the start of a console yeah. cycle. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. And Unreal 5's got so much crazy, interesting stuff going on, too. So, I mean.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the stuff that uh, Brian Karras has done with uh, Nanite, uh, mm-hmm. I, sh- I actually worked with Brian like, a little bit on Bioshock Infinite. Because he was, uh, cause he oh, was cool. at Human Head. And Human Head up in Wisconsin? Yeah, and they contracted on Bioshock wow. Infinite for a little bit
1: really uh, I huh.
0: so so yeah so brian karis was briefly like working on bioshock infinite though i think he went to epic mm-hmm. uh pretty soon after mm-hmm. but yeah the nanite i'm particularly impressed with nanite just because uh it builds on a lot of stuff that's been building on the industry, like, you know, in terms of getting these like really high detail worlds that like kind of started like the assassin's creed engine kind of started doing that, but there's been a lot of like parallel development. So like Nanite, uh, I think the call of duty folks have been doing a lot of stuff in that area of like really high density meshes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and then Lumen, Mm -hmm. Lumen's interesting. and, And like real time global illumination in general is an interesting space because Whereas like Nanite and, and that technology, I feel like is definitely you know is converging. Yeah, I feel like real time GI is diverging right now. Like everyone's <laughs> got slightly different solutions, and it's kind of interesting to see like what people are coming up with there.
1: What about potential threats you see the game industry and opportunities? So kind of both sides of that coin.
0: I always I feel like it's the same answer for both if that's allowed. <laughs> yeah, uh, sh- shifting business models.
1: Oh right. Okay.
0: You know, I mean, you've been around. You know, every five to ten years, it feels like there's an earthquake in how the business model works.
1: Right. Yeah. This doesn't work. It's nowhere in the box. Now it's digital, and now it's free to play. Or yeah.
0: Yeah. Now it's it's DLC. Now oh, it's mobile. Everything's mobile. Oh, now it's free to play. Yeah. Uh. Now oh, live service. Uh. Oh, now it's a battle pass. Like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. now it's game pass like mm-hmm. i you know and i think there's both opportunity and danger with each of these kind of shifts in the business model because like where i feel like we're already seeing with game pass you know there there are some games that i feel like five ten years ago wouldn't get made mm-hmm. you know yeah. like single player i feel like having a bit of a revival just because there's business models that support it again
1: yeah yeah which is kind of nice right like it's not like Everything's got to be multiplayer, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and conversely, I think like you're seeing a little bit of retrenchment in like mobile and multiplayer right now, mm-hmm. uh, or at least live service. Uh, you know, and just because you know user acquisition costs are going up, and right. uh, maybe a game that was like kind of marginally viable, if the if uh, you know regulation shifts how advertising works, maybe that game all of a sudden isn't viable anymore
1: yeah they're running right the cusp but now they, their ua costs get dramatically higher and then it just it just can't do it anymore so so here's a loaded question what are your thoughts on ai hey hope you're enjoying the show if you are please go to patreon.com backslash game we would love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out that's patreon.com backslash advice thanks
0: I mean, this, it's definitely it's this, the talk of the town, right?
1: right. I, I hear there's this thing. It's called the artificial intelligence. Tell me what you think. Um, I, I've seen some of your posts online, so I have an idea. But yeah, what, what do you share?
0: Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I don't know. I, feel, I still feel like I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it out. You know, one of my favorites, so I took an AI class way back in you know, the Stone Ages. Uh, although I got to say, like all the new technology, like these core algorithms have been around since like the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, we had like a truck that drove itself around Carnegie Mellon's campus when I was at school there in, the, in like 94, or
2: 95.
0: Mm. Um, and like part of the big, it's not that there haven't been algorithmic developments, but part of the biggest changes have been a, the hardware is just way faster.
1: Yeah. And sure. the
0: data sets that they're dealing with are way bigger,
1: bigger. Right.
0: And, you know, I think that has like, just, you know, we've hit some kind of threshold where like mm. applications that really weren't practical before. Uh, You know, but we're, you know, had been research things before Are now, like Mm -hmm. turning into like, go to chat GPT and you can just go type stuff in. Right. Uh, Like I had worked on a a research project uh, at Carnegie Mellon where people would come in and like read the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And this was being used for like a a speech recognition Mm -hmm. training. So it was the same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I feel like I'm less kind of ChatGPT. I find kind of interesting is more of like a brainstorming tool, and I think yeah, maybe useful that, yeah. for maybe useful for like beginners who are learning how to script or maybe just you know don't, haven't really explored programming or something. Like I saw someone mm-hmm. use ChatBeat GPT to write a little script for World of Warcraft. And Mm -hmm. and for someone who maybe has never done any kind of programming, like even a wrong answer can be, you know, in plain English can be can get you started. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Like,
1: oh, don't do that way, but but it gives me the framework to do it that way.
0: Yeah, but it's like a professional programming tool. I'm kind of like down on it a little bit. First of all, there's the IP issues. Like, who actually owns what this stuff generates? Mm, No one knows. Like. The copyright office says you can't copyright stuff that an AI generates, but if I like use Chat GPT or GitHub Copilot and I put that code in, uh, game. you know, my my game and I release that game, do I own that code?
1: Yeah, I didn't. I never thought about that, but that's a big question. You
0: yeah. know, or or is it grabbing some like open source code somewhere that I definitely don't own? Mm-hmm. And so I think until those IP issues are resolved, and there's like active court court cases on that stuff. Uh, I don't. I don't know how many people. I, I feel like using it in a business context is a huge risk, uh, especially yeah. for something like games where you're actually shipping bits out. Right. That's, uh, yeah. That's the, a stuff great point. I'm, the stuff I'm really more interested in is kind of some of the generative, not necessarily like stable diffusion, but like if you if you're reading like the graphics research papers, there's a lot of stuff from like Adobe or. Or mm-hmm. people making art tools and they're starting to incorporate these AI algorithms and stuff like Photoshop.
2: Huh. Okay. And,
0: and I'm really interested to see where that goes, because I, I always feel like if you take something like AI or procedural tools or whatever, and you, you get, you don't call it AI and you don't call it procedural, but you make a tool in Photoshop that an artist can use and, and it's directable by them. Right, right, they will come up with amazing stuff.
1: Right, it's another cran in the cran box. Right, it's another tool. It's another thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's the area I'm really curious to see what is come up with. You know, again, there's probably somewhere. Yeah, and I think there's maybe less IP issues there if it's like if you're only doing like a you know a small operation like uh, mm-hmm. a you know I'm trying to think of a you know if you're helping people composite. Frames in a movie or something like that. Right. There's not the same kind right. of IP issues if you're like generating a full image.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember dealing you know, with Midway or someplace with some stuff where it's <clears throat> if it's offline and you're using it and there's an output, but it's not the actual bits of that code on the disk or in the file that's you know on the interwebs. That's a different story, right? It, it's yeah offline versus it's in inside of the code and they could extract it if they had to, or dig around the code or something. So it's a little safer in that
0: sense. Yeah. But that's the stuff I'm really interested in seeing is like, I, always, I, I think like the, the real potential of this stuff and listen, outside of games, there's a lot of ethical concerns. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about how yeah. like, stuff like ChatGPT GPT is going to get used, mm-hmm. but inside games, I think there's definitely some opportunities to like, just make some better tooling mm-hmm. and, yep. And you know anytime you can merge like a human brain with like better tools, cool stuff tends to come out for right. good or ill
1: No, that's fair no that's those are all good answers um, so the the funnier odd story from working in the game industry, what do you want to share?
0: Well, so this goes back to uh, my midway days uh, when I was on the stranglehold team mm-hmm. and I think it was like February 0'7 or around there uh, we were about like we shipped that fall uh, and we were doing like a press day midway, like flew out a bunch of journalists to Vegas, rented out the hard rock hotel, like a, a ballroom or no a theater, theater inside the hard rock hotel
2: mm-hmm.
0: did kind of a presentation, had an open bar and back uh, and then had a bunch of kiosks set up with the games. And, and, you know, and, you know they would do one-on-one kind of interviews and let them get some hands on time. Yeah. of The various games and, and stranglehold was kind of like, uh, I think, being featured at that event. Mm-hmm. And so they sent me out, but it was more as a like we had worked really hard to get stranglehold running on the three sixty, and that's what the big thing that was getting shown off at that event was like all our demos before that had been on PC. this is the 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 same stuff with a new level, like I think it was the uh, the museum level mm-hmm. uh, running on uh, Xbox three sixty. right. So the setup of this event. There's a there's it's a theater so there's a stage and there's a big uh, screen and on the screen is projected someone playing Stranglehold
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then you know there's all the kiosks and that's where most of the journalists are but like the the, the big screen is mostly for just like background ambience right. and I didn't have any real duties but a couple uh, designers uh, friends of mine uh, Neil Glancy and uh, Patrick Curry yep. uh, they were playing on the big screen. And you know the, the basic thing was like make the game look cool.
1: Yeah, show all the cool uh, stuff. Show bullet time, right? Like you, you want to make yeah. it look really sexy, right? Like on this big screen. So yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and uh, so at, at some point they bring out food, and so you know after I'd eaten, I, I go over. I don't remember if it was Patrick or Neil, whoever's working, and I'm like, hey, you know, how about you take a break, go grab some food? I'll play on the big screen for like ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. So I start doing that. And then, about like five minutes later, I see the uh, CEO of the company, uh, David Zucker, <laughs> making a beeline to me, and he's got uh, a guy in a suit with him, right. uh, and who didn't look like game press. Uh, right. I figured he was like, you know, an <laughs> investor, investor, or something an investor, like that. And yeah, yeah. And so he comes over. He's like, "Hey, you know, why don't, why don't you ask this guy about the game a little bit?" I'm like, "All right, fair game. You're the CEO. I'll ask. I'll answer this guy's right. questions." Sure. Uh, so I'm answering his questions, and it's at some point <laughs> the CEO goes, "Why don't you let this let him play?" And I'm mm. sitting here staring at this giant movie screen, and I'm looking uh, at this guy, and I'm like, okay. "I don't want to stereotype, but like, I don't think like I don't think you play a lot of action third-person action <laughs> games." Yeah, I don't say that. I'm just thinking, right? This. Just
1: thinking that in your head, the wheels are turning. Like, uh, uh, maybe not the best idea.
0: So I'm trying to like very gently. I'm going. to, Going to the CEO, I'm like, are you sure you wouldn't rather go over to one of the private kiosks that are not being shown to the entire <laughs> right. theater? Right, right. A little
1: more discreet. Not- <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah. It's a p- more personal
1: like, experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and he's like, no, 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 let him play, let him play. And I'm like, all right, you, mm-hmm. know, it's your dime. Right. Uh, and so I hand the control over to the guy, and, you know, I think. Anyone who's played games kind of takes for granted the muscle memory you have for doing like a third per- standard third person yeah. uh, controls. Like to the point that like I would, I probably off the top of my head can't actually tell you which thumbstick does which.
1: Right. right. You just do it out of memory. And yeah. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs> And third person is trickier too, because you got the camera and you got the character and you're trying to figure that out. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. For anyone listening who really doesn't play a lot of third person games, one controls the camera, one controls like the movement of the player. And you're kind of doing both independently. uh, And it's a little tricky if you've never done it. Yeah. And this guy had obviously not had much experience doing it. And he was just doing the thing where, like, the camera just ends up pointing like down to the corner, uh, and like the guys like running into the wall. Like <laughs> I felt on the big so, screen, and like, yeah, oh, on man. this entire this this giant screen right? showing to the no. entire theater, <laughs> like full of no, gaming press. No. Get the hook up. Get the hook up. Yeah, man, I just felt so bad for this guy because it's not his fault. Like, yeah, like, right.
1: He, he got put in the spot too, right? So he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm game. Um,
0: so how long and, did that go before you like,
1: hey, let me show you a thing. Let me let me show you.
0: How, how about this? I think it was because you know at some point the CEO walked away, and I think it only for like thirty seconds after that, and then he kind of handed me back controls, and yeah, you know, okay, we disagreed. Right. I didn't bring yeah. anything up. I was just like, you know, you got any more questions? You're like, no, I think I'm good.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, that had yeah, the guy'd be sweating bullets too, right? Because
0: he's like, Oh,
1: this doesn't look good and <laughs> yeah. everyone well, is watching I, was, I
0: was I was too because like, you know, remember, I'm not really there to do this. Like mm. I'd had media training from E three, but Right. And, you know, that wasn't really what I, you know, I wasn't on the, the kind of duty roster for that stuff. Right. And like the ten minutes I choose to like give someone a break, of course <laughs> this happens. Right. The, the
1: perfect storm of like what about uh a game you're playing right now that you're excited about?
0: First of all, I'll admit I am like super behind on my games. So the uh these are not gonna be recent titles. No, you mean uh, yeah. Pentiment, which hmm. I, I just played a few weeks ago. And uh if you haven't played this, this is like a Obsidian did it. It's on game pass. Oh. Uh, this Disbelief has no involvement with us so I'm not like uh, Push uh pushing one of our games, but yeah, it's just like it's like a action and adventure in like a kind of late medieval early Renaissance art style, and it kind of covers hmm. from like the start of the Reformation, like one person's lifetime throughout the Reformation. Okay. it's the ultimate like history nerd game, like this period in history always has fascinated me like i really loved assassin's creed II because it's like set slightly later in this but in, like the, in re- renaissance italy and uh hmm. and like uh assassin's creed II, like was even my dad was born in Lucca, which is not too far away from uh from pisa okay. uh so like there, there was like kind of a family connection there so i'm always interested in this kind of like uh european reformation era stuff and and what it, i liked about it, it, I guess what, what time I,
1: frame is this because i'm I'm american man i don't know what, what, like what we talking, uh, like 1500s 1800s like i no it's clue. like
0: i think late 1400s to. Or, oh, okay. no, i think it's 14 or 1500s i don't remember the exact dates yeah i think 1500s i could be wrong and yeah I, the thing the thing that gets me most excited about first of all like i thought it was really well done and it was fun to play mm-hmm. um but just the fact that this game even got made
2: yeah, like right. Obsidian is a, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Obsidian is is a big studio that's owned by Microsoft. Yeah, uh, and you know they're able to pitch this kind of smallish game uh, and and get it greenlit. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this is what I'm talking about, like Game Pass being an opportunity, and you know that kind of revenue model. Yeah, like because I don't think a game like this gets made without Game Pass,
2: mm-hmm. or yeah.
0: if it does, it's like a, an indie with probably you know. A much smaller budget right uh and then you know the other one would be uh horizon forbidden west on mm. the ps5 right yeah so you know when horizon zero dawn came out you know i kind of i think i was taken a little surprise because like i'd only known gorilla from kill zone mm. and here was this like really just extremely well executed open world action adventure game like i really enjoyed the you know the dinosaur fight robot dinosaurs <laughs> robot dinosaur fights Yeah, Uh, you know kind of like climbing mechanics like exploration kind of you know that like in that genre i feel like a really well executed example that and i think horizon forbidden uh, forbidden west kind of just built on that where Mm -hmm. you know it was it's also an interesting like the world building in it is extremely interesting like i Mm -hmm. think uh especially the first one Tells like a, a legitimately good sci-fi story okay. that you know I could see someday like getting the uh, Last of Us treatment.
1: Yeah, right. I'll think about how big that is. Maybe they're doing pitches right now. Would,
0: Probably uh, be bigger budget since you know robot dinosaurs. Came yeah,
1: out. right. It's all harder to. Uh... So, is there anything I should have uh, asked you about but didn't?
0: Let's say uh, crunch. Let's talk about crunch.
1: Vas is los? What do you speak of? Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, you know, you've certainly uh, been through more than one crunch, uh, you know, definitely yeah. I have in the previous. And, it, and there's one of the things, like, when we got, when we started Disbelief, I wanted to figure out, mm-hmm. I viewed as a ju- journey, I think one of our producers put it as, like, a journey toward anti-crunch culture. Uh, cool. So yeah. that would be, like, the opposite of crunch culture. And mm-hmm. And figuring out, like, how do we you know, because there's different degrees to crunch. There's, you know, everyone generally agrees the like top down, hey, you're going to be working 14 hours, seven days a week
1: right. uh, until yeah. we ship
0: this thing, like is what, yeah. definitely what, bad.
1: Right. Whether there's work or not, you're going to be in the office, right? The, the whole EA spouse mm-hmm. and 04 and, and all that kind of garbage. Yeah.
0: But there's also like, you cannot have no mandate and still end up with people in the office and all that. Mm. You can have people kind of like self-imposing crunch on themselves. You can have people who maybe don't have anything to do, who are coming in out of a sense of like obligation. Yeah. Right. Or camaraderie. I've, I've done that in my past. Yeah. You're excited about it.
1: What you're working on. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, like you you're just into what you're doing, right? Right. And you want that passion, but you know, I've never looked back on any of the hours I spent. And except for maybe a f- like a few weeks at the very end of projects where it's just like you're just trying to finish it. And you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if you can ever get rid of that part of it. Mm-hmm. But just because there's actual like hard deadlines involved with like submissions and Oh, this TCR.
1: Like we, we got this thing. We got oh, we got to resubmit. You know all that stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Although even these days with patches, it's a lot better.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I'm thinking back. Yeah.
0: You know, because you got day zero and stuff like that. So right like there, you can get you can get stuff waived on that that first submission. Mm. So yeah, so it's so a lot of it's about like how do we create a culture where like you know I mean one of the things we do and it may sound little is like every time we transfer someone on a project we remind them, hey, you know we bill forty hours a week. Uh, well, most of our projects work, but, okay, uh, right. and so we're not making, you know, we're not making any more money <laughs> right, if you work right. more than 40 hours a week. And right. to the point that like, you know, if you think you need to work overtime or you want to work overtime, that has to get approved at the highest levels in the company, hmm. meaning either me or Steve has to work. Okay. And we almost never approve it. Right. And that's just one of the ways. Cause like we have to do that. Cause like that every once in a while, someone will come in and be like, oh, I feel like I should be working late. And I'm like, don't work late.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: you know this this is you can work on this tomorrow morning, like you know right. come in, give me your best date
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: and go home if you still want to program, go work on your own stuff,
1: right, and get better on your own, and then sharpen the saw and you get better when you're here if you really want to do that, yeah no, that's a really yeah. healthy attitude no I, I like that
0: yeah and but you know the thing is this is not that easy right like you, there no, no. It, in it in i the thing i found is like if you really want to like develop a culture where you know against crunch It in, in it kind of expands to fill every part of the business mm-hmm. like right. you got to be careful about how the kinds of contracts you sign exactly
1: and, what you sign up for right because it's like well we're just going to sign the deal and then it's like in the back of mind you know you're signing up for crunch right like There's, there's no way. way Yeah,
0: because you know, you and me have both seen studios that are like living hand to mouth. Yep. And they get desperate for that next deal because they're using the next deal to pay for the current one. Keep the
1: lights on. Sign the deal. We'll deal with it later. And then you're like, oh shit, here we are. Yeah,
0: and yeah, and then you're just in this like this uh, treadmill that you just can't get off of Mm -hmm. uh, because every time you go to sign another deal, you're desperate. You got to take whatever you can get. Right. And so yeah, so there's like a business development aspect to it of always having enough stuff in the hopper that you're not like taking a bad deal because you have to. Right. And right. and there's enough like you have to plan to make sure that like you have spare capacity. So you're not always running in the red, but mm-hmm. you don't want too much because you don't want to like be in financial trouble either. For uh, the needle.
1: Yeah. It's and, tricky.
0: Yeah. And so it, it's just, you know, that's why I kind of consider it a journey because I'm not sure we perfected it
1: it's super refreshing to hear all this right like again i um crunched over the decades at different companies at different places doing different levels of crunch and it just always used to be that's just the way it is right like if you want to work nine to five go to a bank and then it scares off uh, the thing I've learned is it scares off this whole portion of potential hires because they're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill myself. Yeah. Right. And I was like, well, shit, if we didn't have that, we would have more people in the industry. And um,
0: yeah. And it also, it chases a lot of experience out the door. Right. Like, it's like, yeah. well, I don't want to deal right? with this anymore.
1: People get burned and, out. Right. I, I used to quit the industry every decade. I'm like, screw this. I'm done.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've stuck it out, but like there've definitely been days. Well, I always get pulled
1: back in. Godfather, too.
0: Get out, and they try to pull me back in.
1: And you, you know, because you get bored doing the enterprise corporate Dilbert shit, and then you get pulled back in because it's a lot more fun. But yeah, to your credit, yeah, you have stuck it out the whole time, and now you have this culture around that. So yeah, that's great what disbelief is doing. Yeah,
0: and and I think you know the more studios that can do this kind of stuff, like I get it. We're like a you know engineering focused outsourcing house. We're more of a support studio. We're not actually like you know, doing full game development in-house, mm-hmm. it's an easier problem to solve. But the way I look at it is, well, if I can solve this, yeah. maybe that'll help someone else figure out like the next part of like like, and eventually you yeah. can get to, you know, where every game team is just working regular hours. Right, uh, and, cert- and certainly, like we have some clients who basically don't crunch either, so.
1: Yeah, but to your credit, right? Like, you're outsource engineering and companies don't come to you and they're like, man, this project's going really good. Like, I think we'd like some extra capacity, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? They're like, yeah. shit's kinda on fire. Um, we need help, right? <laughs> so, right? I mean, isn't that some of the stuff that goes on?
0: Uh, I mean, occasionally, but to be honest, like more and more these days, First of all, like people, you know, we have a lot of repeat business and they'll finish mm. a game and it used to be they roll us off and then now they just keep us on for the next game. Uh, oh. So we're, we're participating in projects earlier and earlier than we ever did. That's great. Uh, and, and I think a lot more teams are just using us as a hedge more and, and like,
1: oh, Hey, right. if we
0: get some extra capacity now, we won't get in trouble.
1: I see. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. You know, so yeah, I think, you know, right now, I don't want to just dis- wait anyone out there who needs help right away, like, you know, give us a call. Uh, but <laughs> three one two most- six four <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, most of our business uh these days is, you know, kinda of planned in advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I think is healthier, you
1: know. Yeah. No, it's a lot healthier because and I may be thinking ten or fifteen years ago, but it would always be like people always wait and wait and wait, and then they would finally pull the trigger when Hell, it broke loose, and yep. then they hire that, that uh, assassin squad of hired guns to come in and, and pull the thing out of a nosedive to hit a, a date, right? Like that always used to kind of be that model. But it's healthy to hear that they're getting involved earlier, they're repeat customers, and you're not always just kind of get thrown into firefighting.
0: Yeah. And I think some of its necessity, like 15 years ago, there was a lot more skepticism of like programming outsourcing. Right. Uh, Mm, Whereas like, it's much more like accepted. And like the fact that you're like, okay, we're going to be a core team and we're going to have like, you know, on this big game, we're going to have like six or seven outsourcers working on it too. Like, I think the model of this like smaller core team, although they're still pretty big, uh, yeah. And yeah. a bunch of satellite support studios is, I think, a lot more common now mm-hmm. than it was certainly 15 years ago.
1: Yeah. And you guys have some really talented heavy hitters, right? So it's not just you know, yeah. some random studio in some random country that you're rolling the dice with, right? Like, well, cool. Where can people find you online? Like, website, Mastodon, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, sure. So, first place, disbelief.com. Mm hmm. Uh, we do have open positions right now, so okay. head on to our careers page. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're at a studio and, like, we could use some help in the, with programming or tech art, mm-hmm. uh, drop us a line, uh, info at disbelief.com. Okay. Uh, if you're interested in jobs, jobs at disbelief.com. Mm-hmm. So I got my plugs in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Check. And Check. then uh these days so you know my my whole philosophy on social media is uh, every social media site has an expiration date uh and so (laughs) right now i'm mostly on mastodon uh Mm -hmm. so solid angle at mastodon.gamedev.place and you can follow me from wherever you are in the fediverse Mm -hmm. uh and i do have a blog that oh, yeah, i don't really write on that much but i do have some older articles that may be of interest to folk
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and i and i do kind of keep like where my latest socials are mm-hmm. on there uh and that's at solid-angle.blogspot.com i am old school kicking it <laughs> the box, at though, blogspot right. yeah right but, but you me. can find me in my
1: so I can't go on MySpace anymore. You, you mean every social has, has a shelf life? <laughs> yeah. And just yeah. just side tangent. Like I've been on Mastodon fairly recently. It's only been three, five months, something like that. I know Curry's been on it a while. It's kind of refreshing. Like any quick thoughts around platform or what do you think?
0: Yeah, I was. So I went on it like a couple years ago. Like when that there was that kind of first wave. I don't remember what had triggered it, but like mm-hmm. you know, Twitter's always been kind of like yeah uh, up and down right right uh and i went on a couple of years ago and i was kind of like "Eh, this is this ain't ready yet uh mm-hmm. and then last I, I went on it back on it in november and I you know i I took my twitter private uh and you know i gotta say i've been spending more time on mastodon mm-hmm. uh i definitely think if you're interested in like game dev stuff there's probably a pretty good um critical mass of folks there yeah i think the the pl- things that's missing and the things i still go for for um to Twitter for in read-only mode is like sports or uh, oh, right. uh, some new some journalists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm finding it more and more interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like lately it loads a lot faster than Twitter does, so, you know. Right. Elon keeps on uh, pulling plugs and stuff. and <laughs> Yeah.
1: Last question, like what's one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now?
0: Uh, I think the biggest piece of advice would be is never too late. To strike out on your own. Cool. Like, yeah. We started disbelief. I was 38 when we started. So, like, yeah. don't buy into this. Like, yeah, got to be a college college age, eating ramen uh, in a hovel. Yeah. Right. In some ways, like I feel like we were better suited uh, having you know the experience and connections in the industry. Mm-hmm. um You know, we yeah. when we started, we had already. Lined up and had like two contracts ready to sign on day one. So we didn't really have to go very long before we were like making enough to pay ourselves.
1: Yeah. You're in a better position to do it and, um, and you can be more successful. So yeah. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, I'm 29. The ship sailed. My life's over. I can't ever do anything. Else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The advice I always give is like, give yourself six months of runway if you can. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of six months, you're going to have a pretty good idea of like, okay, either you're going to, be pitch an investment or you'll have some revenue or like you'll you'll be on a on a path, right?
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And and you can kind of make a go-no-go a no go decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Patrick Curry, he always likes to say, is like, you know, I've never regretted any of the the kind of companies I've started or anything, so even the ones that have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I kind of look like it. Disbelief yeah. luckily succeeded. If it hadn't I probably would have still been in a better spot than if I hadn't done it at all. Just, just from the experience of like running a company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You learn so much. And yeah, Patrick started numerous companies, right? Like he he was on one of the early, early, early shows and he's a good friend of both of ours. So yeah. Well, thank you for being on tonight. No, it's been great catching up.
0: Yeah. Thank you, man.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye bye.